the idea of actually having good relationships is actually the foundation on what allows you to be able to be successful within the organization and to help the organization be successful for all of its clients and its relationships. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. When it comes to building and maintaining relationships, Josh Friedlander is the master of meaningful interactions, from writing thousands of anniversary cards to simply sending a thank you email. On today's episode, he also shares his thoughts on mentoring and creating culture in an organization. You're going to enjoy this conversation. So what do you say we dive right in? Josh Friedlander, welcome to the show. I uh, appreciate you coming on today. And uh, before we dig in and start talking about you, I think it's uh, so important that we give uh, recognition where recognition is due. And that would go out to our mutual friend, Ed McBride. Yes, for sure. Ed is in a phenomenal, been a phenomenal for me, phenomenal mentor, uh, phenomenal guide, uh, phenomenal friend. So cannot say enough great things about Ed. I'd really like to, for those that are listening, if someone could say something that's not great about Ed, I'd love to know what that is. <laughs> yeah, me too. That would be, I, I, I don't know if I'd really believe them. So, but, but definitely someone who's advice and counsel. And I think that's true with a lot of mentors, right? That their advice and their counsel, they tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And I can say for, wow, I think it's now 19 years for the last 19 years. Ed has been one of those people in my life and I've been very grateful. That, yeah, he's an amazing guy. I can't say I've known him that long. I think I'm on 13 with him, but same experiences with him. He's just a consistent individual. I uh, can't say enough. So, and it's funny that you just mentioned mentor. That's something that's been a pretty hot topic recently. I do want to go, I've got so many other questions, but if you don't mind, give me your high level overview on mentorship. I'm generally not a huge fan of formal mentor programs per se, where we take this person and we say, okay, here's your mentor, mentee, boom. They can work very effectively when structured correctly and are way better than no mentor program. I am much more a believer in organic mentor relationships. I think that there has to be that relationship capital between the two individuals where 
there's that give and take, there's that respect. Now, and I do think in formal programs, people can develop that. But I love the programs which give people the ability to say, hey, why don't you approach someone who you respect, who you look at their career, their advice, and say, hey, I would love to have a mentor-mentee relationship with you. Give them the tools to actually begin to do that and work with mentors so that they can have a lot of exposure to people. That's at least been my career. My greatest mentors haven't been the formal relationships. They have been the organic ones where people really have been able to be open and honest with me. And I've been able to ask them questions or seek their guidance in a way that was meaningful on so many different levels. That's really good insight. And I think you're going to enjoy, there's a show that I did with a a gentleman by the name of Joe Tornaby. He's uh, the head, he's like the CHRO of one of the divisions of Estee Lauder. We got into this and I think you'd be interested in that conversation. I'll let you know when it comes out. But, and I find it funny that you're not, I, I guess, I don't want to call it, not supportive of official mentors. But what was really interesting when I was kind of doing some due diligence on you that a lot of people look from the people that I spoke with, they considered you their mentors. Right. I don't know if that was just... Well, I think it's organic. It's if you ask a lot of those folks, how did we meet? Oh, we met here, we met there, or we had this sort of thing. It wasn't a, you're the mentor, I'm the mentee. It actually was mutual respect, because I think that's important in a mentor-mentee relationship, that whole idea of mutual respect. And it became a, let's really bounce this back and forth and help each other to grow personally and professionally. Because for, for individuals who I mentor, I consider it as much about my helping them, but also they're helping me to see the world from a different perspective, to look at things like, wow, that's really great. And I think for me, at least those have been the most successful. So big fan of mentoring. It's just not the take two people, put them on a list, boom, there you go. I haven't seen as many of those work versus the organic ones. Gotcha. You know, and it's really, I think what you touched on is so important and where most people miss out is that it is a symbiotic relationship that it's exactly 100 percent one way one way or the other so i really like that and i think that's i think that's where a lot of people miss the boat i think the second area that most people miss the boat is that it's actually the mentee that's supposed to be driving the relationship yes not the mentor so okay yeah all right so we're on the same page <laughs> i got a couple uh what i call rapid fire questions that i'd like to kind of throw at you to to give me as well as the audience a better opportunity to get to know you, not as the CHRO of Latham and Watkins, but as Josh Friedlander, the person. You ready? Great. Let's go. So I know you're a world traveler and as being a world traveler, I'd like to know from you, where is the best city, overall city to get a good meal? Okay. So I have to say I am a strong vegetarian slash vegan. So uh, that's an important context to put this in. And I love food. So for me, actually, the best food is in London. There are so many great opportunities and there's so many different ethnic food types and varieties and different neighborhoods. It's absolutely unbelievable. You can have Dirty vegan, which is the fried food. Like I, I, I can take you for a pastrami, a vegan pastrami sandwich 
a Reuben that you would look and say, this isn't from a, a deli in New York. I can take you for chicken and waffles to lentils, you name it. So for me, it is actually London. Great food. <laughs> okay, got to get there. I can hear the passion in your voice behind the. You know, oh, behind it's awesome! It's it's absolutely amazing. That all being said, okay, I can also take you in Bonn, Germany, to place for the best vegan currywurst that you have ever had. I will rival it with any anywhere in the world. Unbelievable. So I've been there and uh, I was shocked. I wasn't expecting good. I mean, it wasn't vegan food that I was eating, but I was, I don't know why I didn't expect to have good food there, but it was actually the best food I've had. And it was, everything was farm stable there. Yeah, totally. Which was great. So when you are able to hop back on a plane, where where is going to be the first place that you go? Oh, so throughout the year, I travel different places. So I typically do uh, Asia at the beginning of the year, the Middle East, really hopefully just before Ramadan or just after Ramadan, Europe throughout, and then all throughout the U.S. I would definitely like to go back to Manchester, England. I, mi- I miss a lot of the people in Manchester. Would love to get back to continental Europe. Honestly, would love just to get back on a plane. Truly miss it. Yeah. You miss the experience. You just miss the culture. Is it the I miss the energy. I travel typically but before this year, somewhere between 225 to 300,000 miles a year. And for me, it's about the whole aspect of being with people and being with different types of people and different cultures. And that experience is just where I draw so much of my energy and my passion. I love that. What, what are you doing to stay sharp mentally? I am a walker. It's true also when I'm traveling, I walk wherever I can. So I'm up most mornings by about 4.30. I'm out of the house by 4.45. The goal is to do uh, 15,000 steps by 7 a.m., which I do almost every morning, and just to really explore and see everything from the beautiful mountains to the sky. So I'm a walker. That's what I do. And it allows me to be grounded. Yeah. And when you're walking, are you listening to music? You're listening to podcasts? How are you occupying your time? So I do my email. I do obviously listen to an amazing podcast whenever it comes out on a regular basis. So that's the little plug for who's who in HR. Um, So that really works because it takes my two hours. And then when I couch it around my email before, and then I will read some news, I'll do some things like that. But also what I do is I catch up with a lot of people who are on the East Coast or internationally. I do actually lots of conference calls as well. And it allows me to plug in every morning. I actually spend time catching up with my assistant, Denise. And it allows us to really have that uninterrupted time at the beginning of the day to say, okay, what's going on? What do we need to do? What do we need to handle? But it is all of that. So it's a combination of just for me, but also still getting things done that need to be done. Wow, that's a lot. And then how are you able to maintain that time clock with all the travel that you're doing? Do you ever get thrown off day-night inversion, any of that kind of stuff? So I am really fortunate in that I don't get jet lag. If you were actually to ask me a different question, which would say, what is your worst habit? Or what is one of the things is I actually get up at the same time in every time zone. 
So if I were in Asia, I would be up at 4.45 in the morning. If I'm in, and and the, the hardest part is I'll fly in, I'll get up and I'll get up that next day. My body adjusts pretty quickly to the clock that I'm on. And I'll say that for those of us that are road warriors or these frequent travelers, it's one of the only ways you actually can do what you do and do it so effectively. Yeah, I don't travel well. So so to hear all these things that you're doing, there's just like the antithesis of of everything that happens to me when I travel. I, I get thrown off. I don't do well in planes. I need an adjustment period. I mean, you're just uh, no. firing on all cylinders. Yeah, so it's you take the red eye, you land. Sometimes you shower at the airport. Sometimes you shower at the office. Occasionally, if your hotel room is ready, you shower at the hotel. You go to the office. You work all day. You're on calls till some crazy time in the middle of the night starts up again. So tell me something that most people don't know about you, Josh. I am a huge Kelly Clarkson fan. Really? Uh, American Idol's first winner 18 years ago. I happen to enjoy her music. I really love the story of how every one of us can be amazing in some way. And what you need is the right environment, the right person, the right setting to actually have it explode into, wow. And so how do you take someone who was undiscovered or how do you take someone who somebody might consider ordinary and tap into their extraordinary skills, knowledges, and abilities? And that's what her story is to me and how she continues to grow personally and professionally through her triumphs, through her tragedies, but still is really grounded in what matters. I relate a lot to that. So I've got a a good friend who is on one of my other shows that is good friends with her. I don't know if they're good friends, but they work together in, in a certain capacity and they've known each other for a few years. And she has nothing but great things to say about Kelly. Like nothing. She, yeah. she just really, she says, what you awesome. see is what you get. So I thought that was, that's refreshing to hear every now and then, now and again. So totally agree. do you have a, a biggest turning point in your life? I think like all of us, I have a lot of turning points in my life. I think for a lot of us, there are lots of forks in the road and, and then you sort of take it and, you know, which one for me was actually sort of an amazing one. I was I was actually working at a, a unit of GE Capital. And previously, I had gone on an interview for a, a different job with, with an organization actually that did something totally different. And the HR manager there, a senior vice president of HR, wasn't the right fit for me. It wasn't for him and all of that. And I don't know, about three months later, he called me up. And he said, I have somebody who I greatly respect who's going through and starting a store, starting a startup. And you could be perfect for that. I'm like, what? Excuse me? Like, I wasn't good enough for you in this other one, but I might be good. (laughs) And I said, no, 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 not interested. I've been really successful in this. He goes, we we could just go and talk to the person. Like, no, I'm not really interested in talking to her. He said, well, just, just just do me a favor. She actually needs to see what great HR looks like. Well, someone says that to you, you're like, okay, right. So we go and we meet in Manhattan at the Brooklyn Diner. I'll never forget it on 57th. And 
what happens is I meet with her as the CEO and it's this new startup. And she says to me, I want to tell you my philosophy on business. I'm like, okay, great. She said, the first thing is you have to have a killer idea. The second thing is you have to hire the best HR person in the industry or that you can find. And the third thing is you have to execute. Really, like you don't hear too many CEOs saying that, right? Especially, by the way, I would go back 20 years ago. And I said to her, okay, I got the killer idea. Tell me about the HR part. And she said, without the right HR person, that killer idea doesn't happen because you don't have the right people. You don't have the right processes. You don't have the right programs. And you can't execute. You can't make it happen. Well, I was blown away. <laughs> and that started so many different paths that opened up and all that. So that's what I'd say. That's a good one. I like that one. So, Josh, you're just a benevolent guy. You're nice. You're generous with your time. We're going to get into more of some of the things that you do. But at the end of the day, you're just always doing nice things for other people. What's something nice that someone has ever done for you? Is there a nicest thing or is there something recently someone has done for you? I think lots of people have done nice things for my career. But one of the nicest things was I had just started at the Marshall McLennan companies. And I had responsibility for sending out an email that was, was related to, to cars and drug testing or something, something along that lines. Don't even remember the specifics. And did exactly what I was supposed to do. And some of the people who got it did not like the email. Okay. <laughs> Including at the time, some of the very senior executives, they were furious and people wanted to have my head. And I have to be honest, I didn't understand the mistakes I made and, and how I made them. I'll never forget the person who was running the Americas at the time from an HR perspective. And I was devastated, right? Brand new at firm. Okay. Calls me up and I'm, I'm serious. I'm ready to quit over this. Like, how did I screw up so bad? And he calls me up and he goes, let's go have a cup of coffee. I have to be honest, I think I had met the guy once, okay, before that. And he goes through and starts to tell me about various stories in his life and his work career where this was a learning experience. And this was about how you deal with the tragedy, the, the mistake, the issue, not the issue, and how about accountability and how you need to take ownership. And I'll be honest, I can remember where we were sitting. I can tell you almost word for word what he said. And it was the greatest thing of someone actually taking the time to explain what it meant to really care. It was that empathetic and it stuck with me all of these years. And I would say that's something that I, I still think about that as being professionally one of the nicest things anyone ever did. Do you feel comfortable sharing this gentleman's name? Yeah, I do. Brian Goshen. All right, Brian. Yeah, Brian was, again, I can, and, and, and you know, she asked me one of my favorite countries in the world, right? So obviously I love the UK, I love the US, I love Germany, I love everywhere I've been, I love the Middle East. I have a really special spot in my heart for Singapore. And it's not only because 
I love the people of Singapore. I love the country. Brian Goshen lived in Singapore as his international assignment before he had just come back from there when he had come he was with Marsh. He had just come back to the U.S. And so I have this notion of how special Singapore is also because of Brian. Oh, wow. How about that from leaving a mark you know, yeah. on so many levels? Yep. Wow. So I'd love to transition over into some of the work, you know, that and the background, your background. If you don't mind, I failed to ask you to explain what your role is today. And then from there, I want to kind of dig in and ask you some pretty interesting questions to follow up on that. Sure. I am the uh, Chief Human Resources Officer for Latham & Watkins. Latham is one of the largest law firms in the world with regard to revenue, and I have responsibility for the HR function and critical in terms of other areas of human capital within the firm. Gotcha. I mean, I can't say enough about your firm. And as I was telling you before, I mean, I've personally used your organization on multiple occasions. And I, I just can't say enough about the level of sophistication. It's known to actually be an expensive firm, but it actually ended up being less expensive for me and my firm because when we used you, you guys were so efficient mm-hmm. that it actually saved us money, if that right. makes sense. So, right. I mean, we pride ourselves on being excellent in terms of world-class lawyers. And it is, for many, as you just mentioned, it is all about the value you add for the client, especially based on the matter that they may have. Yeah. So in the role as the, the chief human resource officer, how important is it for you to be able to develop good relationships with the people? That, that you're working with, whether it's the lawyers that you're interacting with or even just people that are working for you? I think it's critical. When you start to think about, and I had mentioned a little bit earlier, the whole idea of relationship capital. When you think about all organizations, and it doesn't matter if it's professional services where our competitive advantage goes home every day. They're still at home every day, but generally goes home every night, right? But when you think about every organization, The people are what matter. And it's the people who either create the relationships, create the products, create the distribution, whatever it might be. So the idea of actually having good relationships is actually the foundation on what allows you to be able to be successful within the organization and to help the organization be successful for all of its clients and its relationships. So how do you go about building some of these relationships? What, what, what is it that you do? Is there any advice that you could give other people, maybe if they're new to an organization as the CHRO, or maybe that's just, a, or maybe they've just grown up with the organization. What do they do? What are some tips, strategies, tools that you're using, whether it's opening the door or just developing the relationship in general? A lot of it for me is I do believe in the management by walking around. That idea of actually sitting down and talking to people, reaching out to people, noticing things in in people's lives. I think that's incredibly important. I think it's important to actually say hello to people. It sounds so simple, but acknowledge people look them in the eye. I think that is so important. I think it's the whole idea of treat people the way that you want 
to be treated. Those things, I'm a big also believer in everywhere that I travel. I'm excited about being there. You know, you, what you had is, yeah, I want to go back to London. I want to go back to Paris. And I love going back to the Middle East. And that is also, I think, important when you're dealing with people and it's, oh, I can't believe I just, I'm here. No one wants to hear, because I, I don't believe it, no one wants to hear that their city is a burden on you. <laughs> but it's also, how do you make yourself available for your people when they need you? That's what's so important in so many ways. That's what I think is what you actually do to have yourself develop. For me, one of the other things is reach out and I answer my emails. I make my own phone calls. I acknowledge everybody on my team with regard to their anniversaries and do it in a way where I actually said it's a simple little note. I have a calendar invite. Okay, that pops up on someone's anniversary. And I just say, I want to be one of the first folks to say happy anniversary. Now it's personalized in a different way. It's three sentences. What better way for someone to say you care? Have you always done this or where where does this come from? Like, how, how do you know did this innate? Did someone share this with you? Did you read a book? Because you're really you're nailing it. And especially as we get older, how many people, how many birthday uh, cards are you getting these, or, you know, or people are even calling it? Yeah. So a couple of things, like one of the things is obviously I do them electronically in this age, but for everybody who is a staff person at Latham and Watkins, every staff person gets an anniversary card for me every year. Those that I know well actually get a, really it's a half a page note. That's about them mm-hmm. as a person. And I have a couple of hundred that I still need to sign for the upcoming month. Not haha funny, but serious funny. We had 6,000 of them or 5,000 of them actually delivered. Six cases of them actually were just delivered two days ago. And my wife, Heidi, was like, why do we have all these anniversary cards? And it's that idea of showing you care. And people say, well, you can send them electronically. People, I have terrible handwriting. People will say, well, they can read your handwriting. That's not what it's about. It's about taking that time thinking about that person, talking about something related about that person. That's in my mind, it's about engagement. It's about when I go in and I did a presentation to our staff population several months ago, I think it was out of 2,300 people, I think it was worldwide on the staff side, 24 or something like that. There were 18 or 1,900 people who logged in. And I think that level of engagement is so important because it's that connection. It's that showing you care. And I think that, so where, I think I I grew up with some great managers, but I also think I had some terrible managers. Well, a lot of times we don't talk about those, Adam. We don't, you ask me, oh, who's this one? I'm not going to give you the names of the bad ones, (laughs) but the bad ones taught me almost as good as the great ones on what not to do. And I say that to people that I'm mentoring. I want you to think of your worst managers. What did they teach you? Well, I shouldn't do this. Great. Then don't do it. What did the best ones teach you? Oh, this great. Then do it. Create your own path by taking the best from everyone, but avoiding the worst. And then how do you have some kind of CRM or some kind of system that you're able to track these anniversaries and track some of this information that that you're learning about each person? I mean, there's only Um, so much you can be that you can remember. 
So I actually do have a great memory. What happens a lot of times is I just jot it down in my calendar. So there'll be a lot of things related that way. No, I don't have a formal CRM system. It's a great idea, though. I should do that. But I actually put it near their anniversary, near it so that when it pops up, I have it and click, it reminds me. Yeah, that's impressive. The memory is impressive, especially with everything that you're doing, the traveling. Kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. So you've been able to move industries throughout your career. How have you done this? Anything in particular that you attribute that ability? People are people. It's I think a lot of times we forget about the transferability of basic HR throughout industries. Now, there are definitely nuances. And I am I do get a little concerned sometimes. We say, oh, you have to have this industry. But if you go back to the original premise that we talked about a little while ago about, wow, what really matters for a lot of people, and that's understanding people as a competitive differentiator. And maybe it comes from early in my career. I'll never forget, I was in Russia for International Women's Day. And I remember watching it. And at the time, and still, I mean, Russian was terrible. But you could watch body languages. And you can watch and see that you didn't understand a word that they were saying. But you could see different relationships happening the same thing. And I'll never forget, okay, being last year in China and watching this family interact And I didn't understand a word they were saying, but it was two brothers who were clearly annoying each other, okay? Mom turning to dad, like, what are you going to do? Dad, and I play that out in my own head so many times. And I think when you understand the transferability, that yes, there are nuances. I'd like to think in most of the organizations that I've been in, be it oil and gas, be it professional services, be it financial services, 80% is exactly the same. 20% is industry specific, but that 20% it's nuances. And I'll say of that 20%, a lot of that is actually based on the organization that you're actually with. Because even for those of us, when you change organizations, even with the same industry, you still have to work on that transferability of skills. Yeah. A lot of people have trouble making that leap though, Josh. Yes, they do. Any advice to, you know, begin? And a lot of times even they're just intimidated to even try. So I think that filters into it also. Yeah. What I hear, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it was something like, okay, 100% of people who don't try something fail. Right. I butchered the quote to those that really know the quote. And there's lots of those out there. I, I think that that's a lot of what it comes down to. And what I think about, and again, I'm, I'm not great with quotes, but early in my career, I was reading this book, especially when I was with Exxon, it was about the Standard Oil trust breakup when they basically broke up Exxon into, and, and then all mobile and Chevron into to all of these little different organizations, and they took the Standard Oil trust. And one of the things, and again, I'm, and I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase it because it's not perfect, that they said to J.D. Rockefeller, Okay, is what do you think about this? And he said, look, you can break up my company, but just don't take my people. Because if you leave me my people, I'm going to have everything back in a short period of time. And again, that's a paraphrase. But it always stuck with me that 
It was the people that matter. And that's where I think that people have to try that. And they have to look, by the way, and I say this about diversity. I say it about a lot of us. Let's focus on where we're actually the same. No, don't. Let's not talk about where we're different. Let's talk about our commonalities. What do we want that we're all better as people, as colleagues? Then let's go from there. I love that. Completely concur. Absolutely concur with that. So I guess, what is your overarching role as the CHR of Latham? Look, I think a lot of my role is culture. A lot of my role is uh, brand ambassador. A lot of my role is how do I help the senior leadership to have the right information they need so that we can make the best decisions possible? I think it's a lot of those different things all rolled up into one. That's what I would say. And as being a brand ambassador, what does that mean? I think for everyone at the firm, right, wrong, or different, I I got an email today from somebody who was angry about something. And even if I have responsibility for it, we're the function that they turn to. I think about when you think about the idea of people that we meet, and when I say I'm with Latham and Watkins, and they go, wow, or they go, Latham who? And you sort of explain what is it that we do and the difference that we make in the world. You go, wow, okay. I think that's what we're talking about, brand ambassador. We're also sometimes, or a lot of times, the brand ambassador for management, brand ambassador for the Latham brand. I think, by the way, lots of colleagues have that same role. But I think in terms of if you, if we're going to go back to the premise, the idea of people are the competitive differentiator. Mm -hmm. How do we attract those best people? How do we actually develop them in such a way How do we maintain an amazing alumni relationship? It's all about the people. And that's what I consider when I talk about the brand. Interesting. And all of that kind of rolls up under you? In some way, shape, or form. So, I mean, does it all roll up under me formally? No. But I also think one of the things that's really important is understanding the power of a matrix, especially from a leadership role, right? That our role is so important to understand that how it impacts finance, how it impacts brand and communications, how it impacts you know, tax, how it impacts benefits. All of those things impact your brand and impact your people. Because if you think about it, how many times do people go, oh, I don't want to work there? Well, why? It's a terrible place to work. Well, that, that hurts your brand. Yeah. How important is, is gratitude internally for the brand? Oh, 100%. Let's go back to those anniversary cards. Yeah. I start with thank you. Thank you for an amazing year. Thank you for making a difference. I actually start a lot of my emails or end my emails with thank you. I think that idea of gratitude and sincere gratitude, by the way, not THX and this and that, where it's just sort of a closing. I'm not talking about that. I am grateful to and for everybody that I work with every day because of the difference that they make for our clients, for our colleagues, and for everyone who we interact with, 100%. Yeah, I heard a great quote, and I'm like you. I I love quotes, and I have a uh, history of bastardizing them, but I, I wish I knew who said this, but it's something to the effect of when you see something beautiful in someone, tell them. It may take a second to say, 
but for them, it could last a lifetime. Totally. And exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think that I just, I love that. I think that's awesome. I, I, and it's like, and when you think of things that way, it's like, yeah, why not tell somebody? <laughs> yep. And it's so easy to do. Yeah. Right. And it's so easy to give that little big, uh, one of the things that I say to folks all the time, all feedback's a gift. Some gifts you like, some gifts you don't like, some gifts you want to re-gift, but we only give feedback and gifts to those that we value. Good point. I'm actually writing down your quote right now that all feedback is a gift. Completely agree with that. So let me ask you this. If you could go back in time and give yourself some professional advice, what would it be? Patience. I'm not very patient. I would say patience. Assume good intent. That's something that I actually have in my office on the, on a, on a it's not a sticky, it's actually a, a little laminated card that says assume good intent. Assume people are acting in a good way. I, I don't think there are many people wake up in the morning and go, ah, oh, how am I going to go get Adam today? I don't, I just don't believe that. Right. And so if we assume good intent, I think that can matter. I'd say live life intentionally. Actually think about that. Understand the difference between intent and impact. And I think there are a lot of times, Adam, where people go, well, I wasn't my intent. Intent really doesn't matter. It's the impact. So live your life intentionally, but with impact. Speaking of impact, outside of your family, who's had the biggest impact on you or your career? I'll go back to there are different people at different points in my life. There's definitely someone, again, we talked about Ed McBride. Ed McBride definitely had huge impact in my life early in my career. My first supervisor at, at Exxon, Kathleen King, had great impact. But probably the most was Ken Fong. Ken was not the head of HR at Marsh very long. It might have been six months, eight months. But he taught me more about believing in myself, giving me confidence, helping me to think about not only did what I wanted, but what I didn't want in life, helping me to stretch and to push and to be brutally honest. I mean, such a way I'll never forget at one point when I was negotiating on an opportunity, Ken wrote down, I can tell you, we were eating at a sushi restaurant. I'll never forget this. And he said to me, what do you think you're worth? And I told him a number and he broke up laughing. He just broke up laughing. He goes, you're not worth that. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He goes, you, you, you're just not. And I'll never forget on a napkin, he wrote a number down. And he said, this is what you're worth. And I was like, well, thanks. I don't know if I can say this. Go screw off, man. Like, really? I, I, I love you, buddy. This, wow, this hurt. That was the exact number they offered me. <laughs> That's, uh, do you know who Ray Dalio is? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. The, the, I actually think he's stepped down from Bridgewater, but he's all about radical transparency. Yep. And yep. That sounds like. But Ken's a phenomenal, phenomenal person. So we're running late on time. I got one question for you before I let you part. And we've both talked about quotes a lot. So I think this will be very apropos. I'd love to get your perspective on this quote. It's not the numbers that drive culture. It's the culture that drives the numbers. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that culture is so important in an organization. 
Because when you have the right culture, and we can talk about what makes Latham so amazing, and you had mentioned it, it is the whole idea of collegiality. It's the whole idea of collaboration. It's the idea of transparency, and it's about respect. When you have all of those things, the numbers fall into place. Because when you have a culture where people want to be there, when they wake up in the morning and they go, yes, this is what I want. I always say to folks, I want every day to be like that first day. So Adam, think about when you go to, when, you know, when you started a role and you're all excited and you're all jittery and you wanted to do your best, right? You got there a little bit early. Yes, that's about the culture. And when you have people who love what they do and people who are excited about making a difference, who are engaged, who are energized, that will drive those numbers. Well said. Well, I got to tell you, this has been a very stimulating conversation, Josh. I love your perspective. I love your passion. I love just the motivation to connect with people and to drive that culture. That's amazing. It really, really is. I'm sure I'm speaking for everybody that's listening right now as well. So I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. And I want to thank, thank you for you having me for making today happen. That sounds great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Make it a great day. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.